Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about gold paper crafts. We are taking a look at persuasion for this episode and headed to Uppercross. Anne and Lady Russell are paying the Musgroves a visit. And in a bit of break with typical episode format, I'm actually going to also read a quote to set the scene before Zan reads the quote with our actual (laughs) reference, because there's just a lot going on. (laughs) There's a lot going on, and it's just helpful to sort of know where everybody is at. So this is from the novel. The Musgroves came back to receive their happy boys and girls from school, bringing with them Mrs. Harville's little children to improve the noise of Uppercross and lessen that of Lyme. Henrietta remained with Louisa, but all the rest of the family were again in their usual quarters. So Louisa is still recovering from her injuries in Lyme, and Henrietta has stayed with her, but everybody else has come back to Uppercross, and there's a lot of people and a lot of noise. And so this is the kind of the the, the direct reference that we're talking about today. Immediately surrounding Mrs. Musgrove were the little Harvilles, whom she was sedulously guarding from the tyranny of the two children from the cottage, expressly arrived to amuse them. On one side was a table occupied by some chattering girls cutting up silk and gold paper, and on the other were trestles and trays bending under the weight of brawn and cold pies, where riotous boys were holding high revel, the whole completed by a roaring Christmas fire, which seemed determined to be heard in spite of all the noise of the others. I love the idea of this Christmas fire, which is just like, excuse me. (laughs) I am going to compete with these children for attention. (laughs) Can't you hear my snap, crackle, and pop? Come on. (laughs) Determined to set a Christmas tone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is like, This is the actual IRL version of, you know, like the fireplace app that you put on your TV screen in the background. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like turn the volume up. Get really Christmassy with Mm -hmm. this. (laughs) Yeah. So let's start by explaining what gold paper is in this scene, which is a bit more complex than it might initially seem. But, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know, (laughs) that's kind of our bit. So Mm -hmm. we're all Mm -hmm. about that. So gold paper during the Georgian era could have described a few different things. And the specific term gold paper didn't really have a standardized use during this period. So we're going to zoom way out and talk first about gold leaf, then gelt paper, and finally a specific form of gold paper. As a broad definition, gold leaf is an extremely thin sheet of gold about 0.1 micrometer or four millionths of an inch thick. So very thin, and that is used for gilding. It is often combined with other metal alloys such as silver and copper to create color variations. It starts as a very thin piece of gold that gets hammered by gold beaters until it reaches that delicate thinness. So there were three primary types of gold leaf that were popular in Austin's era. And the description that we're going to be using today is from a book called The Cabinet of Arts, or 
General Instructor in Arts, Science, Trade, Practical Machinery, the Means of Preserving Human Life, and Political Economy, published in 1817. (laughs) This book solves all of the problems. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No big deal. We've got it all covered. Machinery, preserving life, political economy, we've got it all. Oh, man, we should be creating like a compendium of these titles because it's (laughs) just, they're so good. So according to this very um, erudite text... Here are the three types of gold leaf that were in common use. Pure gold leaf, which is made by hammering gold between the leaves of a book made of skins till they are sufficiently thin. Pale leaf gold, which has a greenish color and is made of gold alloyed with silver. And Dutch gold, which is brought from Holland and is in fact only copper leaf colored by the fumes of zinc. It is much cheaper than true leaf gold and is very useful where large quantities of gilding are wanted, which can be defended from the weather and where great nicety is not required. But it changes its color entirely when exposed to moisture. And indeed, in all cases, its beauty is soon impaired unless well secured by varnish. It is therefore only a cheap substitute for true gold leaf, which may be useful where durability is not an object. They had a lot to say about Dutch gold. They had mm-hmm. a lot to say mm-hmm. about Dutch gold. So this kind of leaf is stored between parchment sheets and collected in little books of gold leaf that could be purchased to gild an entire panoply of different items, from food to architecture, artwork to paper crafts. And this is something that is still, you can still purchase this today. Well, and the reference to parchment here is also kind of interesting, just because parchment is, it's using the actual traditional definition here, which means actually prepared animal skin. Yeah. So that first part from the Cabinet of Arts, that pure gold leaf, which is made by hammering gold between the leaves of a book made of skins. If you were wondering, that's the parchment. So in Austen's novel, her narrator describes the girls as cutting both silk and gold paper. So it's not particularly likely that she's referring to this incredibly delicate gold leaf. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. You just It's just not a thing that you cut. However, It would have been a somewhat common material, especially the Dutch gold that was referred to, for the kinds of crafts that young women would make during this period, and it could be applied in a range of different ways. Yeah. You're trying to fancy up your crafting project. Why not? Mm Mm-hmm. A little gold leaf goes a long way. Yeah. I mean, I've seen them brush a little bit of gold leaf on their showstopper on Great British Bake Off, so that's a thing. Yes. Super fancy. We like gilded food. Mm-hmm. Okay, so since the gold leaf is probably not as likely, Austin might have been referring instead to gilt paper, which is, like it sounds, paper that has had metal leaf applied as gilding. And there was a specific type of gilt paper that was popular during Austin's age called Dutch gilt paper. So you're seeing the connections here. And this was also called Dutch flowered or brocade paper, and it was a popular cover and in-paper material from about 1700 until the early 19th century. So there's like a lot of bookbinding crossover here. Oh, definitely. Yeah. According to the St. Louis University Special Collections previous exhibit on book arts, Dutch gilt paper was really deeply ornate. And to create these designs, quote, 
Dutch gilt was printed using wood or metal blocks or rollers, but instead of, or in addition to, paint or paste, gold leaf was used. The resulting metallic sheen imbued Dutch gilt paper designs with an air of opulence, an impression strengthened by the paper's resemblance to embroidered luxury fabrics of the time, such as brocade and damask. It's not particularly likely that this is what she's referring to in this passage in Persuasion, but we have to at least acknowledge that this was a specific type of gold paper of this era. So during the Georgian and Victorian eras, gilt paper would often be used with papers like invitations to fancy parties and super swank visiting cards and those sorts of things. So that would also be a very common form of gilt paper. Another common occurrence is the gilt pages of books. Again, the crossover to the books is pretty strong here. (laughs) Gilding paper also occurred in filigree paper projects. We discussed filigree in detail in a previous episode, but after a filigree project was completed, it would sometimes be gilded with gold leaf to make the work look even more like a metallic filigree. This was even done in churches and chimney pieces or anywhere that this kind of ornate work would be preserved. In the scene in Persuasion, it is possible that the girls are creating paper crafts with some form of gilt paper or paper that they themselves gilded with gold leaf. You know, covering all their bases. These are all options that they might have been using. Our third option for what Austin is referring to is a more literal gold paper. And the majority of the material we found on this topic came from Rosvita Ketzer's journal article, Metallic Paper, Its Manufacturing Process and Comparing Analysis. So we love a niche interest. So good. She she really saved the day for us. So <laughs> hooray. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So Ketzer's work specifically examines a metallic gold paper that was used as a cover material for 18th century pamphlet bindings. The pamphlets that Ketzer is working with in her article, they were German produced, which she argues makes sense since Germany was one of the first manufacturers of metallic papers starting in 1690. And as a result, metallic paper was a bit of a German specialty. This kind of paper, as well as the Dutch gilt papers, were actually manufactured in Germany, but the Dutch reference stuck with them since, quote, enterprising Dutch traders imported them, the papers, into the Netherlands and then exported them again to France and England from about 1700 until the first part of the 19th century. So they're being made in Germany, but the Dutch are kind of getting the credit since they're the ones trading them about. Yeah, yeah. And these metallic papers were made primarily with gold leaf or any other kind of metallic leaf, including silver. And as a result, metallic papers were really expensive to produce. And in Germany, at least, you were required to get an official permission from local councils before you could manufacture it. So lots of of stipulations about how to go about your manufacturing business here. To start the manufacturing process off, The paper used had to be particularly well-crafted, so it was incredibly smooth on the surface. It was usually handmade in single sheets. Then you could choose to produce a matte metallic paper or a glossy finish. So, you know, 
like sort of choosing how you want your photos to be printed, essentially. Oh, very, very nice comparison. I'm into yeah. it. <laughs> to get the matte finish, the paper would be prepared with a form of size, which is basically a substance that would make the gold stick to the paper. That's just the technical term for it. So that size could be glue, gum, or even egg whites. And after the paper was prepped with the sizing, the gold leaves would be laid on top and then rubbed down onto the paper. And that would give you that matte finish of these metallic papers. For the shinier, glossy finish metallic paper, there were a lot more steps involved. We won't go into it in great detail, though Ketzer does, including diagrams and flowcharts. So definitely check out her full article if that is something that piques your interest. For our purposes, we'll just name the series of processes involved. So here is kind of the steps after you have that lovely, fine paper. You would have to prep the paper with sizing, then polish it, create a layer of primer, then polish it again, add another layer of sizing, then lay down the gold leaf. Then you would burnish the paper with things like wax and agate stone before finally glazing and varnishing the paper. There were many, many steps. That's definitely quite a bit more involved than the matte finish paper. Uh -huh. So because of that, it's not particularly likely that the girls in Persuasion are using this kind of glossy finished paper, since it would have been a bit more expensive and not as flexible to work with either. It is, however, possible that they would have used a matte finish gold paper, especially one that used an imitation gold like an alloy from brass and zinc. That kind of paper was used in pamphlet covers that Ketzer was examining, and it would have been a much more cost-efficient paper that still had a really lovely, vibrant glow to it. We'll actually include an image of that particular gold paper on these pamphlets in our show notes so that you can really get a sense of how this, even though it's a matte finish, it really does just jump off the page that this is clearly a metallic paper. So when we bring all this information back to Austin's novel... Remember that we don't know precisely what form of gold paper the young girls are using. It is possible it could be some variation or combination of gold leaf, gilt paper, or matte gold paper. Probably matte gold paper being the most likely of the options. Mm -hmm. What we do know is that the gold paper and scraps of silk in this scene fit into the broader idea of certain decorative arts being aimed at young women of the time. It's something to keep them busy and occupied while still being one of those ladylike accomplishments. Those ladylike accomplishments. The list is extensive. Mm -hmm. So again, this scene, it's an example of these kind of typical activities that are considered acceptable for girls of the time. But in addition to that, in this particular instance, we're also really getting the scene of fun and frivolity because it's mixed in with all these other things that are happening at Upper Cross. So... We don't know for sure what the girls are creating. They might be making small gifts or decorations or holiday ornaments. They may also just be playing around and cutting up bits of paper and, you know, I don't know, making paper dolls. Do we, they could be doing anything, you know. They oh, could just sure. be yeah. messing about with paper. They're just playing with a craft. Absolutely. Yeah. I think cutting up bits of paper is something that children have enjoyed forever and will continue to enjoy far to the future. So... Oh, I definitely agree. That's where my kids are. Yeah. So it is interesting that th this scene is a bit of a contrast to Anne's own personal 
temperament. She is somewhat on the periphery of this moment. And while she's not necessarily excluded in the scene, and in fact, the Musgroves are incredibly warm and wel- welcoming of Anne in like every instance, she is still, however, the primary observer of the scene. So before the passage we read at the top of the episode, the text reads, quote, Anne could not but feel that Uppercross was already quite alive again, though neither Henrietta, nor Louisa, nor Charles Hayter, nor Captain Wentworth were there, the room presented as strong a contrast as could be wished to the last state she had seen it in. And of course, she's referring here to the last time that she was here when she was actually delivering the news of, of Louisa's fall to her family. So compared to this scene where everything just seems to be right in the world. And so because of that, Anne really does seem to enjoy the liveliness of the scene. Although she does think to herself that she, quote, would have deemed such a domestic hurricane a bad restorative of the nerves were she in the same <laughs> situation as Louisa, which, like, honestly, fair. <laughs> you know? Domestic hurricane. That is so accurate a description of, like, <laughs> chaotic children running everywhere during a Christmas season. That's just, that's perfection, honestly. At any rate, the detail of the girls cheerfully cutting up scraps of silk and gold paper, it really does kind of complete the tableau of Christmas coziness that Austin creates here. And it really is an effective snapshot of the energy and warmth of the Musgrove family. This little snapshot here. I mean, it's this could be like an engraving on a Christmas card. Like oh, it's yeah. just it's just that perfect. It's also like Dickensian in mm-hmm. some ways. You know, it's it's that kind of like everything's Christmas carol-y, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of it kind of gives me like little women vibes. Ooh, good comparison. I like that one. Yeah. You just feel like, oh, this is a warm hug. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of get the sense that Anne, even if she's not like right in the middle of it, sort of like mixing it up, she's kind of like taking it in and like, oh, this is nice, you know? Yeah. And especially as a contrast to her last visit. Yeah. This is like... Everything's going to be okay. Exactly. It sort of feels like, okay, all is well in the world. Uh I mean, I think Uh even the way that scene ends with the whole description, the way that Austin writes it, it was a fine family piece, you know, just like, yeah, look at this scene. Look at this domestic bliss. Yeah, it is a domestic hurricane, but it is also domestic bliss. <laughs> and those things can occur simultaneously. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think they can and do quite frequently. 100%. <laughs> so we also see gold paper showing up in Mansfield Park when the young Bertram sisters at the beginning of the novel, quote, adjourned to whatever might be the favorite holiday sport of the moment, making artificial flowers or wasting gold paper. And they're basically adjourning from hanging out with Fanny. They're just like, oh, we don't have time uh-huh. for you. Like, no, thank you. It's basically the opposite of the persuasion scene. It's, oh, yeah. It's an exclusionary ta- It's an exclusionary tactic. Exactly. Yes. It's just showing Fanny as an outsider. In the very next sentence, she's described as forlorn. And then throughout the novel, she's excluded from everything the sisters do. So... It's definitely not the festive holiday atmosphere that we see with the Musgroves. Not not even a little. Yeah, that's quite sad, actually. Yeah. Why did we have to end on that scene? <laughs> Man, it's rough. Poor Fanny. We had to mention it as the, you know, <laughs> the other gold paper scene. But yeah, just think about the domestic hurricane instead. Cozy up with a gold paper craft. I mean, honestly, actually, this is like an easy one. This is an easy Austin scene to replicate. Like, get some of your friends together. Put the Roaring Christmas Fire up on Netflix, or if you actually happen to have a working fireplace, that's great, too. 
It's harder to turn the volume up on that one, though. Just it is, saying. It is, that's true. Very, very true. And um, get yourself some gold paper crafting materials. I don't think you need to shell out for the real thing. I'm pretty sure Michael's probably has a decent equivalent. Uh, <laughs> or your crafting store of choice. And uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah, have a good time. Yeah. And if you're feeling real adventurous, you could play some Snapdragon. Although I, for one, do not endorse that, as everybody who listens to this <laughs> podcast well knows. Eyebrows may be singed, you know, we're just, we're just saying. <laughs> I joke, I joke. Someday I'm going to play Snapdragon. It's going to happen. Complete all of the Austin festivity options, I think, you know, get a, get a bingo card and <laughs> take, <laughs> take them one by one. Well, if you have ever dabbled in any sort of gold paper or gilt or any sort of craft of that variety, we would love to hear about it. And see examples if you have them, you know, Obviously, that you've made. Yes. yes, please. You can find us on Instagram at the thing about Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com, and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And you can find our merch shop with lots of fun designs related to Austin and the podcast at www redbubble.com slash people slash about Austin slash shop. And you can also just go to aboutaustin.redbubble.com, which is much easier to access. You don't need a www or anything like that. It's just aboutaustin.redbubble.com. So either of those will take you there. Stay tuned for next episode, where we will be talking about Askleys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.